All right. Welcome back to uh, Memory Tracks, episode two. So last, uh, last, I guess it was about 10 days ago, a week or so ago, I uh, had my first guest, Stuart Gray. It was awesome. Had a lot of fun doing it, talking to Stu. It's really cool. Um, and yeah, it was fun putting it up there and listening back to it, hearing how it goes. So luckily the calendar arrived nicely and that Doug, my friend, uh, good friend back from Austin, University of Texas days, good old college buddy, um, is been staying with me in town from LA, uh, visiting his old, uh, his old favorite college town in Austin here. Um, and I explained the podcast to him on his way over and, you know, Doug and I, we've seen a lot of shows together. Of course, we've listened to a lot of music. We have a lot of overlapping interests, a lot of different interests as well, musically. And one of my favorite things is having Doug visit here in town, uh, usually crashes with me and, you know, swapping records, going to the record store, figuring out what we've been listening to over the past few months and where that overlaps. And it's always fun. It's always really cool to share that with him. Um, but then also to hear what he's got going on and hear his interests as well. Uh, and today he's got some cool songs to talk about, some of which I know well, some of which I don't know as well, but really excited to have him. So, Doug, you can say hi and announce yourself, I guess. Hey, um, yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to do this because uh, there are a few people that I know that are as passionate about music um, to the point of almost an obsession as, as Harrison and, and myself and a few of our other friends. So, um it's, it's nice to really kind of flesh out some of the ideas we were always talking about with music and really kind of go deep into to specific tracks. So, yeah, I'm excited for it um, and happy to be back in Austin. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, and I, I definitely love the idea of, you know, not having people in here that are just here in Austin or necessarily even from Austin. Um, and, you know, having you here gives me a lot of ideas of like, oh, well, anytime people come and stay, it'll be really cool to, to hear yeah. that. Of course, Doug is in L.A., music capital, well, true music business capital, I guess, of the world. So uh, not that he's necessarily uh, lets that direct his prerogative, but super jealous because I think in was like two weeks, he's going to get the chance to see over the course of like five days, what is it, like James Blake followed by... Uh, Willie Nelson, who we saw yesterday and was magical, <laughs> um, so I'm excited for that. And Bonnie Vare, which of course we're both big fans of. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's and Patty overwhelming. Smith. Don't forget Patty Smith is and opening Smith, for yeah, Justin Vernon. Some, some and lady named Patty Smith. Man, Patty Smith is <laughs> talking awesome, and I'm so jealous of yeah, that so combo of show. Holly it's always overwhelming in the fall in, in LA. You just get this huge rush of concerts, and it's like you got to pick and choose your finances and time yeah totally and they all sell out like right away too that yeah yeah i mean i bought just bought tickets for a cigar rush show next april it's eight months away from from when i bought the tickets it's like but uh you have to plan it out yeah i mean that's that's what comes with it and you know it sells out and you miss out yeah but at the same time everybody comes through there and right. it's nice to have that available yeah, yeah. we got that well here in austin too but yeah. So anyways, we got three songs from Doug today, um, and, you know, just like with Stu, we'll kind of go through one at a time. Um, I did want to say that, you know, I listened, uh, after and some people listened to the last uh, podcast, some people mentioned that, you know, they really felt like it would be cool if we could listen to the music on the podcast uh, before we go in and start talking about it, because, you know, you may not be familiar with the song, uh, and totally agree. You know, actually, that's really what I wanted to do initially. Um, 
and haven't quite figured out exactly how to do that for me, you know, live recording, editing perspective, and then from a, you know, rights management, legal, all that, you know, stuff that is a little bit over my head right now. So get there. We'll probably record a few more of these without the music, and then, um, you know, I'll try and incorporate that in as I figure out how to actually do it. So for now, you just got to listen to, you know, uh, us two kind of talk uh, and ramble on for a little bit, and maybe it'll be good. We'll see. Fortunately, you got these things like YouTube and SoundCloud. You can, you can go find the music. Totally. And I do have, like, a little Spotify <laughs> playlist that I'm, I'll be adding the tracks to, and you can, you know, subscribe to or whatever if you want to listen to it. Um, although I think last week we had one that was not on Spotify and this week I know there's one that's not on there as well. So anyways, let's kick it off and let's get started. So Doug, his uh, first song, I think when he, when I first texted him, he was boarding the plane and was like, Hey man, let me know what songs you want. And, uh, you know, you kind of, you know, you know, certain things about certain people and you kind of know, you think where they're going to go, what songs they're going to pick. And, uh, this first one is definitely one that when he texted, I was like, yeah, I mean, I didn't know specifically which one, <laughs> but I knew that there was a Gotta tool song one. coming. So, uh, so, you know, Doug's uh, one of the, the bigger tool fans that I know. And, um, you know, for myself, I've, I've played with, uh, with listening a lot to tool here and there, and it's, it's been there for me some somewhat, but doesn't have near the, um, you know, significance that it does to you. And I'm really excited to kind of hear about this particular song. Uh, from the Lateralis, Lateralis, is that mm-hmm. how you say it? Uh, LP um, called The Grudge, which I think is the opening track. Yeah, it's, it's the opening track. Um, it, the album came out in May 2001, and it, it means, uh, their music as a whole means, um, so I could go on for hours about what it's meant to me and, and the shifts of, of their work and, and the shifts of my life and what, how it's kind of evolved. Um, I think the album came out in May 2001. My brother was a big fan and has always been really influential in, in uh, my music tastes and, and all aspects of my life. And um, I woke up that morning and literally the album um, CD Rap Shrink Rap uh, was sitting next to my pillow. Um, and my brother had gone to a midnight release party. It was a big deal for, for Tool fans, which he was uh, quite... And I, I was familiar with them, but I, I mean, at the time, I think I was 15... Um, and but it was literally sitting on next to my pillow, like the Tooth Fairy had left this metal album for me, <laughs> and um, you know his passion for it rubbed off, and 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 I took it with me to school that morning. Got a ride with my buddy to high school, and you know I think I'm I guess this is end of freshman year of high school, um, early two thousand one, and up to that point I had been really listening to you know. Blink-182 and Green Day and, and I'll admit it, Limp Biscuit and Corn, you know, hey, uh, these kind of rock yeah. things, but... You mentioned some good stuff in there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they had their time and place and there, there's still elements of those I can go back and, and enjoy. And the state is still but, a top 100 record. Yeah, yeah. but, but um, you know, three minutes, in and out, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, outro, you know, mad at my girlfriend, mad at my parents, you know, it's they were very digestible, quick, you know, fist in the air songs. Um, so that morning, I took the Lateral CD with me and my Walkman, if uh, yeah. anyone remembers what those are, and sat in the cafeteria before first period and, and put the album on with my headphones uh, and just literally had my mind blown. It was like nothing I'd ever listened to before. 
I had no expect. I had heard some of the earlier songs off Undertow and, and Anima and, and liked them, but again, they were still kind of grungier. They were shorter. They were angrier. This album was really a, a big progression, I think, in, in Tool's discography. And um, that song, it, it's it's called "The Grudge." It's you know clocks in a lot as a lot of their songs, maybe eight or nine minutes. Starts off very powerful, has little bits of of calm kind of beautiful melodies thrown in but it is a very kind of um sludgy opening and it is um, very intimidating to maybe someone who doesn't listen to metal in the beginning and um and it is just a sonic force of eight minutes of of strange time signatures different types of lyrics in the terms of like how it's sung from being aggressive growly to beautiful melodic um really pounding percussion and then beautiful soft bass lines um there's just so it's it's really hard for me to describe how much is going on it but um when the song finished i i remember just looking around my high school cafeteria of all these you know this is outside dallas this is you know all these football guys and cheerleaders and and just thinking that these people had no idea they had no idea what what is I don't even know what that means. Just like, I don't know what they didn't know about, but I just kept thinking that in my head because I felt like I had a golden ticket. You were transported. I had just experienced something and, and I, 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 there was a shift in my, in my life that I had this realization, awakening of, of I, I don't know, of, of so many more ideas of bigger things, of what music could be, of what it could talk about. Um, you know, going again from those like, Four, four simple rock songs, three-minute rock songs that are just in and out, fun to sing along, tap your foot to, and, and you're done. Tools music has always required an attention span. It's not <laughs> something you just put on, listen, hanging out with friends. You would never listen to it at a party. Um, maybe a party <laughs> uh, I would go to, but maybe but <laughs> you know, not most party. Many people are probably going to enjoy. It's something that you, it's like you know maybe a book, or it's something that requires your attention and focus. And more and more obviously it goes without saying in our in our culture these days that's it's a rare and rare thing of the 140 character culture we live in of this tiny attention span and um i'm really excited to see what tool comes you know now about 11 years 10 years from their last release um still awaiting an extra release of of them to push it even one step further um there has been an album since lateralis 10,000 days in 2006 um but we're going on 10 or 11 years now for a new album but um yeah, when you mentioned kind of like your introduction to the record, uh, you mentioned it being from your brother, and you know I've met your brother before, great dude, um, and I, I know that you two have a very close relationship and maintain that and spend a lot of time growing that relationship, even today, obviously. Uh, so you know, kind of when when you got that, was that something that he did a lot? Do you have a lot of other kind of stories behind that with with your brother or is, is tool been the thing that has been like a really driving force between y'all's relationship tools is definitely a, a, a touch or a keystone of our, our relationship but um there, of course we i mean that's we live in nashville and la so it's so i mean we're constantly texting like did you check out this new album did you hear this song i mean we we have um very um heavily overlapping um tastes but there are obviously some some deviation from that but um do you that, think when the new record comes out i mean it's gonna be, there's that i think tool fans are you know you either really love tool 
or you don't know anything about them, um, or you actively dislike them, something yeah. like that, right? Um, well, I, I, I say that. I, I like Tool, yeah. so I'm kind of like just the guy that follows along. Um, You're but, in the uh, but I, I certainly don't, you know, love and worship them. Like I know, like the the main the core of tool heads well, do, uh, which I would I would bucket you into, and <laughs> without being derogatory, of course. Um, but so I'm just imagining like the excitement because when they do have a release, it's such a big deal. Um, and I can, do you think will you fly out there to listen to it with your brother? <laughs> That's a good. Uh, we need to start. Well, a nice. You know, it's 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 <laughs> been so long now. You know, waiting uh, for a new album. To, um, yeah, that would be cool. I mean, we'll definitely you should do it. See a show together. Yeah, it's. A good I mean, idea. I think I'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can get to a release and have it waiting on his pillow. I think you should do that. <laughs> I I was really excited when you came here because uh, the Bonnie Bear record came out like two or three weeks ago, and I remember when you spent like before you moved to LA. I think it was before you moved to LA. Yep. You spent a week or uh, like, like a, a month, month living yeah. with me, and that was right around the time that the second Bonnie Bear record mm-hmm. had come out. And you hadn't really listened to them that much and remember you getting really into it. And so ever since we've kind of shared that kind of cool connection with that and mm. exchanged words back and forth about different things like that. And so I remember I was really excited to have you come visit this past week and for us to listen to that record mm-hmm. together. We had both listened to it independently, but it was cool to do that again. Right. And to think that, you know, hey, man, if these guys release a record every 10 freaking years yeah. uh, and it means something to you, then this is me encouraging you to make that a special moment whenever it does finally come out. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, when the, when the uh, last album came out in 2006, I believe, um, yeah, me and a group of friends who were all big fans, we, we drove off to a hill in Austin off 2222 and parked the car, and, and we just all sat there and listened to the whole album in silence. Yeah. No one talked. We just had it on full blast in my 1998 Explorer. And, um, yeah, so that, that would be something something to do. I, I, I can't even fathom what... Is, is cooking in their oven because they, yeah. they've mentioned that, that it's it's coming it's it's, it's the work is ready yeah. they are no rush um, but they do not you know they don't play by the normal rules of things they never have and I don't mean that in like a cool like you know anti-establishment way I just mean that that they they have full control of what they're going to do when they're going to do it yeah. they're not going to take pressure from label from fans yeah. Um, and I'll admit when I go to a tool show I, I loathe like 70% of the people that are there because there's this whole <laughs> cult and you also have the Maynardo Files the, the Maynard James Keenan the, the vocalist uh, yeah. kind of obsessive people who you know it's just kind of a they're, they're, I can understand how a lot of people were you know kind of turned off maybe by uh, a lot of what they deem uh, to be tool fans um, and I think there probably are a lot of people who, who are tool fans who don't really dig that deep into the emotion of it they just kind of there because the power and the rock and you yeah. know, they like to rock out and um and when i was talking earlier about how the, the album was such a shift in in my awareness of music from a stance of like time signatures and and you know ch- changing and of, of um you know the not not sticking to that verse course verse course outro kind of static structure of radio friendly songs um, they also really, I mean, they introduced me to, to so many things in their lyrics from um, Jungian psychology, um, Bill Hicks, who's been a major influence on, uh, of his comedic philosophy, I would call it, uh, um, sacred geometry, um, all, all these really kind of metaphysical, not I wouldn't call them spiritual and definitely not religious by any means, but um, deep things. That, you know, again, they're not talking about, you know, how you had a bad day or a love song or and those I think human elements are involved but there are really deeper things going on and so being 
you know, 16 years old in, in Dallas, you know, getting exposed to these kind of ideas of really kind of deep, you know, metaphysical kind of, of dialogue within the songs and the lyrics. And um, again, that's where I started to have this um, change of, of my perspective of the, the world I was living in and also in, in, in this kind of self-confidence, it, it, listening to their music and really diving into it as a teenager in high school. It, I had a lot of, um, I was very kind of proud to listen to it. I felt like, you know, most people were, we were listening to, you know, just junk country and hip hop, you <laughs> yes. know, early 2000 hip hop. And I get all that stuff is, is in its time and place. But um, this music was just on such another level of production and the ideas that were being talked about. Um, and also at that time I was learning to play bass guitar and, and um, was playing, always pl jamming with friends, but I was always kind of like the rhythm guy, you know, just hold the, the rhythm and, you know, play the, 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 the you know, the kick notes and, and listening to Justin Chancellor, the bassist for Tool, he, for me, kind of had a Tom Morello kind of approach to the bass guitar where he, you know, used a lot of pedals and, um, uh, and different techniques of playing the guitar and um, it was always trying to really push the instrument to be its own voice in, in, in the song and never just being the background rhythm, uh, the backbone, you know, as the bass is a lot of times subjected to. It was really kind of pushing what, what you could do with the instrument and um, creating very unique sounds. Um, and so that was a shift in, in my what I thought, you know, you had to do when you're a bass player is like just be the yeah. rhythm guy and when you could really just be your own voice in the band and um, come up with your own lead lines and, and really push the instrument. So, so you know, I, I appreciate them because on, on so many levels they, they, they affected my life and, and um, I, I think, think a lot of people will get stuck trying to intro into being, a, you know, listening to a tool that they just think it's this like, metally heavy thing and that's just not their thing they don't listen to metal music i think if you break that barrier um especially if i think the lyrics can mean a lot to a lot of people because um, i do believe maynard is, is a very fantastic um songwriter from a lyrical standpoint um talks about you know very kind of big human emotional elements but always you know kind of cloaks them in metaphor um that requires really to kind of dig dig into the you know beneath the surface to really appreciate it and, and i think with any band like that you know you can you then once you're in there then you feel you know you, you get it and you're you're kind of locked in that that um headspace and um yeah so i, I can listen to, to the song over and over and and you really just get uh, if, if you listen to it and take you know eight minutes by the end of the song you realize there's this kind of um, sonic power they have and, and with a lot of the music I listen to and I've noticed this genre not genre but this <clears throat> kind of consistency between the, the musicians I love the most is their ability to balance um, power and, and um, intensity um, with um, delicate you know approach and, and time, parts of the songs that are really kind of beautiful and having this calm before the storm and then just bringing the full power of music um, and balancing yeah. it not being all one or the other and looking at the next two songs that you have like there's going to be a lot yeah, of that so. exactly yeah you'll, we'll continue <laughs> um, that. it's funny too with uh, Tool you know I mean you mentioned kind of people like it don't like it we talked a little bit about what it is to be a Tool head um, but you know looking at the record beforehand Lateralis was debuted number one billboard and over like 500 million copies sold in the first week I mean they were they were huge yeah there's still, uh, oh, there's such a huge and following. There's a lot of, you know, it, it's it's weird to think to think about that. And their albums are spread so far apart that 
um, you know, in some ways they lose a lot of the momentum that they gain with each release and that, because I think people grow, grow out of the music in, in some ways um, or forget how much it meant and then they come back through an album cycle. It'll be interesting to see when the new one comes yeah. out, like what uh, what place it has. Um, yeah. Like, does it bring in new people? Does it satisfy old people? We'll see. Well, and, and you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't disagree with that, but I think that another way to kind of look at it is that having, and it's maybe what you were saying, is having this big space between releases is gives you time to try a lot of new things, experiment. And they're older, you know, now they've got kids, they're married, you know, from when they started in their early 90s. It was just like angry grunge influenced early 90s LA kind of metal. And then, it, you know, each album you can notice a, a big growth of maturity and, um, of, of the approach to, to, to the music. And um, I think having that big time, uh, you know, the fans also change. You know, you've grown up and you, you've got new influences. And um, I think as opposed to a band that, you know, puts has pressure from their label to put a new record out once a year, every three years at the most, I think most contemporary bigger bands are doing, um, you know, where, you know, it, 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 there's not as much... Um, excitement over a new release because it's so quick and you're they're so kind of just knocked out and the, the band is really under a lot of pressure under recording time to to get it out and finish it quick and marketing coming at them and you know as all these aspects in the record industry that, that kind of push the music to be quick and um less people forget about it and i don't think that's at all the case with with tool fans i think no one in the in the kind of bigger tool fan world um has any misconceptions about you know that there's a, something on the horizon and they're eagerly, eagerly awaiting it. Cause I mean, I went to the show in San Diego a few months ago, you know, they haven't had an album in 10 years. Um, they announced 10 shows or so everyone sold out arenas, you know, I mean, they haven't had an album in 10 years and they're selling out arenas, um, around the country, around the world. And, and that's because the music is, is just such an experience to be there. And when you're there, I mean, as, as it is with any big band that has a huge following when you're there, the crowd energy is so, um, electric because everyone feels they're in on this, you know, secret thing that is like a private event, you know, that it's like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, yeah, my tastes are kind of all over the place, but just a couple months ago I went and saw fish and I've, I've been a fish fan for a long time, which I know seems what we're talking about kind of off the radar, but it's the same thing. Once you really crack through what it, they appear to be on the outside and what people have this conception of what they are, whatever band it is, once you break through that and you really understand what they are, at least what they mean to you, um, then, then you know that's when the real following begins yes. with with any band. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't. I've tried the fish thing. I just can't get there. <laughs> I, maybe I, maybe I one day. I tell my roommate <laughs> that he was disgusted. I was going to the show, yeah, and yeah. I can more than any band. I can completely understand how someone would just be like, no, not have no interest. Uh, I can totally understand it, yeah. uh, and you know. But, but then at I mean, the same time, I have friends who are music. you know travel and follow them, and I understand yeah. their their perspective as well. No, that's just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's go to the next song. Yeah. We've got um, Sigur Ross. So Sigur Ross, man, these next two I'm really excited about because I was introduced to Sigur Ross probably from you, honestly. Um, huh. I mean, as as far as like. I mean, obviously, I've heard the name. I knew I knew their stuff, but had never really listened to much of it. And then, uh, you were kind of the first one back in college before we really even knew each other that well. That you know, obsessed over it. I remember coming over to your house with Brian and um, you know the Avenue D house and seeing um, 
what's the name of the the documentary that they shot? Hema. Hema. My Icelandic accent's not very good. By the way, we've probably hearing the dog. Last podcast, I had the dog outside, and he was barking a whole lot, and it kind of bothered me listening back to the recording. So I thought to this time I would try to leave him inside, took his collar off so it wouldn't shake a lot, but with wood floors and long dog toenails... He's making plenty of noise. That's he cute. Just, he just fine. wants to be a part of it. Yeah, but that's fine. Waldo's a good good pup. Um, so anyways, Sigur Ross, um, I remember watching the film with you as kind of my first like real moment where I was like, okay, I get it. I get, it, I yeah. get this band. I like this band. I yeah, want to know more about this that's band. That's why I'm always showing the film. To yeah, no, like it's, totally, it's so perfect that I've got <laughs> bands on my own that I kind of do the same thing with or there's like a piece of film or something that yeah, you can yeah. kind of share that paints the narrative and the context to really yeah. kind of open the door for you. Well, you showed me the Nick Cave documentary and I, I never really listened. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, get it's, it a good, it's a good open Anyways, door. Uh, 20,000 Days on Earth is that Nick Cave documentary yeah. for the listeners. Anyways, uh, Sigur Ross. So uh, you picked a song that we can't pronounce and maybe not even have a, a real title um, because this is kind of the untitled record. I think it was printed with two brackets closing yes. as the name and they call it the bracket album or the untitled album I'm not really sure um, but untitled 8 I guess is what we'll call it for the purpose of the podcast yeah the closing track um, but definitely on uh, Spotify and all that so yeah. we'll be able to share that um, but yeah tell me uh, untitled 8 why Why'd you that well one? you know as, as you said a minute ago I, I, I've noticed this over the past few years that that, that is the um, kind of consistent theme through all the different artists and genres of music that I listen to is that they're artists who can balance power with restraint um, and whether the music being very overwhelming and, and loud and big and you know a wall of sound and lots of layers going on and then all the way down to just really you know they can balance the, the, the beauty with the intensity and um, so all three of these songs do kind of fall under that umbrella, and which is why I kind of ultimately picked three. But they they're all differed for different reasons. And and with Untitled Number Eight, it, it does have a title. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but um, it's the last song off the album. And um, I've always thought that if there was one song I had to pick to listen to as the world ended, it would be this song because it does have this kind of apocalyptic, beautiful apocalyptic um, ending. Um, to the song when I was a young teenager first getting into making photographs which is mostly what I do these days um, I had this vision of the end of the world not being like the kind of chaotic Armageddon fiery chaos of you know that we a lot of times kind of imagine it might be one day but it would be something that we just all accepted and when we knew it was it was coming and you know, we all made our peace and, and it was just something we accepted and it was a beautiful thing that we all shared in. And, um, and so I made some, some photographs when I was young trying to kind of um, symbolize that, that idea. And this, this song, uh, I can't remember when I first heard Sierros, I guess it would have been about 2005, you know, early in college um, at, at the university where we both went here in Austin. And, and um, it was like a, another new awakening where it was just something I'd so far off from anything I'd heard before, but still had that passion and intensity. Um, it, it, the song contains just so much emotion from sadness and longing to, to um, again, kind of this dark con uh, power. Uh, it's, a, it's another long song. It's at about halfway through at the six-minute mark. It has a very distinct kind of shift the song shifts from being 
um, kind of ethereal and beautiful to all of a sudden having this kind of dark transformation. And it's a very, um, the, the lyrics go away and, and the, the instruments take over and write out the rest of the song. Um, I've listened to the song probably more than any song I've ever listened to. If it was the one song I had to take to a desert island, it would be it. I could listen to it a thousand times. And, and despite all the time, I've never once wondered what he is, what his actual translated lyrics are. Some of the songs they sing in Icelandic, some he sings in a semi-mythical um, language, uh, I believe called Hopelandic. Hopelandic yeah. uh, I'll let you research that. So uh, actually, yeah, I'm glad you brought that you wanna, up. Because I, I, <laughs> I did look at it. So yeah, I remember like, in college, Sigur Ross was the band where it was like, oh, yeah, they it's just gibberish. It's a made-up language. And then it's like, oh, no, it's Icelandic, which is, you know, a very difficult language that only 250,000 people in the world speak. But um, could be translated. But could be translated and it means something. And so it's kind of like that That you have to be able to get past that when listening to Sigur Ross because a lot of people really want to grab onto lyrics. And it's like, oh, I don't understand what the heck he's saying. And I mean, just even if even if it was actual language, the way that he sings and uses his voice, it would be hard to understand as it mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. um, but for this particular record, it is entirely Hopelandic, which right. is the made up gibberish language. Right. And in <laughs> fact, all of the lyrics are throughout the entire record. It's a series of words. It's you, Zylo, you, Zylo, no, Philo, you, so, you, so. That's it. Yeah. So and it's like nine words. And he uses it in random combinations and throughout. And the reason why is because basically they had been working on all of these songs over the course of touring for like two years. And whereas some of their songs maintain the Hopelandic kind of gibberish stuff uh, with loose structures, some of them are in Icelandic and sometimes it pivots back and forth between the two. But this entire record is made up of just those nine words that I didn't pronounce correctly. Um, I mean, close enough that, that I, I mean, I have honestly never looked at this up. Like I said, I've listened oh, to this Oh, now you're going to be at the show singing along. Like, well, no, I mean, you you, <laughs> you hear the, those lyrics, as you said, I mean, you hear those sounds and you yeah. hear it throughout that album that it yeah. is clearly the same repeating, sung differently in each song, but softer, louder, whatever. Right. Um, and even listening to their other albums, I've never once, I mean, I would, I tell people that they're across the board, having just gone on and on about Tool, I'd say Sigur is probably my favorite overall rock band that, that, that I would listen to over and over, see them anytime they're anywhere close to me. Um, and I've never once wondered what the lyrics are, the ones that can't yeah, be translated. You don't need to. Because I, I listen to it, they, they're so good at songwriting and conveying emotion in the songs that. Uh, and, and I think this is a, a beautiful aspect of listening to music that you can't, um, you, you don't speak the language is that you inject your own, what it means, what, what you think it's about. You inject your own thing, conflicts going on in your head or relationships or, you know, if you're going through a bad time or a good time or whatever, you, you put in your own, um, inject your own story into what the lyrics mean. And, and again, never knowing what he's actually saying, I've always just felt like I still understand what he's trying to say what what right. what story he's telling um and you know I, I really like that aspect i thought recently about the, the three three you know singers that that emotionally really hit me in my core are, are three that i have no idea what they're saying that'd be sigaros um your boy justin vernon from bon Iver on most albums even though you can look up the lyrics and you can kind of understand words it, it's for the most yeah. part poetic gibberish yeah. um and I don't know really, and usually I'm just kind of singing it, but I really have no idea what he's saying. Um, and, and the now, um, no longer, sadly, metal band Isis, um, uh, which is very heavy, kind of um, 
metal, uh, the lyrics have such force and power that it really has always moved me, but I have no idea what he's saying. And I've never cared. It's just never mattered. It's, it's, especially with Sigur I think Yancey's lyrics become just another instrument. It's like you got your guitar, your keys, your drums, et cetera, et cetera, strings, and this other weird abstract instrument that happens to be a, a guy's His vocal voice, cords, yeah. which is very high falsetto is a very obviously uh, interesting vocal that a lot of people I think maybe struggle with in the beginning mm-hmm. of not really getting its appeal. And then eventually you, if you see him perform, I would challenge you to not be emotionally moved. And, and I, that reminds me when I saw them at um, I think it was Coachella Festival 2012 or 13. They were the, the, the biggest draw to, to, to me going. And the end of the show ended with Untitled 8. I was on the rail in front of the stage. Uh, and it brought me to tears. It, it was, but tears just super happy and just completely emotionally overwhelmed. It was just, it was one of the best nights of my life and just really um, overwhelming in the, all the best ways possible. And um, listening to the song every time, no matter what, when, it, when that change happens at the six minute mark and that shift into it gives me chills every time. And from there out, the rest of the song is just like this tidal wave of, of um, instruments that's, I think you, anyone that would, would hear or see it live would be hard pressed not to be um, moved by. Like uh, when I um, went visited in Iceland, you know, you see the landscape there, and it's just it's crazy. Like as soon as as soon as you see like your first big glacier, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, okay, this makes sense. Like this yeah. this is why these guys write songs like this right. because I mean the you know Icelandic. Uh, culture and people it's very you know very small 300,000 people in the entire world isolated. Uh, it's very isolated but they're just surrounded by like the most gorgeous evidence of nature that you could possibly mm-hmm. find um, and like who wouldn't write music like that if you lived right. and grew up there well and of course since then we've beca- we've found so many other Icelandic artists who, who have totally. that similar yeah. type of like passion and intensity in their music that just has some character and and God, who knows what Sigurós's influence has been on Icelandic tourism? I mean, oh yeah, I mean, monumental. Yeah, like they, they should get know, like a national Sigurós kind of award. And Bjork, like basically, probably Bjork, yeah, triple the GDP of Iceland for <laughs> so long or whatever. But you have to listen to Planet Money to figure that one out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Sigurós, good, good, great band. Um, definitely someone to uh, to check out and, and experience. And I mean, man, they. I, I, my challenge with them when I see them live is I'm not versed enough in their music to like know the songs, but mm-hmm. every time I hear one, I like, it's like certain parts are like, oh, I know this part mm-hmm. and this part means something to me. And then I hear that. And this song, like you said, at that six minute mark, when it breaks down, we, we watched, um, the performance of it here before we started taping and it's like, oh yeah, I know this part and I can, you know, I can mouth the instruments mm-hmm. as they go and, and, and feel that it's, it's really cool. Um, yeah, good band, good people, great country as well. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, you know, if you haven't gotten into them, I would, I'd recommend the album talk T A K K. Um, you know, it, which means thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's an actual word that they use. (laughs) Different album, (laughs) more actual lyrics in Icelandic, uh, but just beautiful front to front, front to to back. And and most of their albums are, and, um, it's, it's a diverse, the the, the baby on the front. I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Not going (laughs) to, um, cool. All right. So that brings us to our last one. Um, 
which is funny. Like Niels, Niels from is the name, and I really thought he was Icelandic, honestly, <laughs> for the longest time because he hangs with all the Icelandic bros. Um, but uh, or at least that was my impression of it. And yeah. um, you introduced me to Niels from, so another band that I can thank you for, or another artist that I can okay. thank you for. That's nice. Uh, and man, I mean, this is. This is, I mean, I think probably most people listening have heard of Tool and heard of Sigaross. And uh, last week, obviously, Stu, Neil Young, Potter, Stevie Wonder, we all know that. Niels Fromm is maybe a name that you hadn't heard. And I really can't recommend enough. Like, go listen to Niels Fromm Spaces record. It is mind blowing. Um, and also, the album from which you picked your last track, which is called Says. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, yeah, 2013. This is the seventh record. So the past two songs were both third records for the artist. Seventh. Uh, I was hoping maybe there'd be like a cool significance of having three third LP tracks, but mm. you broke the trend with the seventh LP. Um, and man, I mean, like I hadn't even heard of this guy. This came out in 2013 and he's already had seven records. I'm mm. sure they're all great. And this one is such an interesting record too because it's all random recordings it's not really a a studio it's a live record right um but it is so well recorded that you forget about it until the track ends and you hear the crowd cheer um i really wish we could i I wish i had the setup right now to to play it right now because i'm just i'm actually kind of like getting chills i I highly recommend going (laughs) on onto youtube and actually watching a live performance uh the live performance so i I started listening to him to niels Fromm, who's a relatively young german uh berlin-based composer who is um highly acclaimed in europe and catching on uh, globally now um and we saw him in los angeles only maybe two weeks after really f- knowing his name um and me and a friend in la found him through <clears throat> Oliver arnold's which is a you know the icelandic maybe um way that you associated him with iceland yeah. was Oliver arnold's and um we went to the show uh it was at i believe the el rey in la which i think is my favorite venue there that's one of the um, little fire lanes on the side so yep. you get back and forth with your beer yeah it is it was underrated a, feature of a music yes <laughs> it was a um easily top five concert i've ever been to uh i'd like to think i've been to quite a lot of concerts easily a top five um we talked about it the whole drive home for days at work, you know, as with a work colleague, we, we couldn't stop thinking. We were so giddy after the show of, of what we just witnessed. Um, and um, this song was the one that really stood out. It's a um, second track off the, the album Spaces, um, which is a live record. Uh, he said that the record was essentially to try and capture what it's like to hear him live on a record. And, and that was basically the, the tour he was doing at the time was essentially the, the, the record. And um, again, it's so well recorded that you will forget that it's live and, until you hear the crowd. Um, it's it's not um, recorded uh, as best as I know in any studio uh, way, um, but a lot of great live videos. Um, and Nils is, without doubt, you know, if you talk to any of my friends in LA, uh, they'll they'll probably vouch for this. Uh, the most important or influential artist uh, that I've come across in the past, I don't know, five years. Um, really genre defying. I mean, he's definitely a pianist, classically trained, um, but he is part of this, I, I think, relatively new genre that I don't know the proper name for it. I see it often referenced as like new composition or um, neoclassical. These, these these artists who are classically trained um, string artists or pianists who are 
combining um, classical styling of, say, Chopin with um, the modern technology of synth and also just, put, you know, taking that to another level and combining different layers. And um, But ultimately, it is a, p- a piano-driven show. His setup is multiple pianos from large to small and several synthesizers. Um, so it is a piano one-man show. Um, but it is, um, anything from seeing a classical performance, even though there are elements in certain songs that are very traditionally classical, um, type piano pieces. Um, but, but, but seeing that live, um, and again, an artist and this track, as you'll hear, if you listen to it again, balancing really delicate, beautiful parts with, again, a very climactic, um, a roaring finale at the end um, of really hammering piano and a lot of synth loops, a lot of layers of one man building a lot of layers of synths and uh, piano lines. And you really get lost in this headspace of the first, say, five minutes of the track. And then you are just pummeled in the last um, 30 seconds to one minute uh, with just this uh, onslaught of, of piano and um, really powerful uh, lines um, again it's kind of reoccurring theme of that that balance um, it's like it's a strangely percussive song yeah I feel like a, a, no drums but you know he's or I don't know if he's using like synth drums in the background no what, but and some some the songs. way the way that he plays piano is very percussive I feel like yeah well this this particular track says that the first four or five minutes are very sleepy I mean it's a, a very quiet looping synth line in the background um, with him very delicately playing just a few notes here and there. Um, I think you can... It's that delicacy, though, that really, like, pulls you into it, I feel like. Yeah, and then um, and then you're rewarded in the end with this, this um, patient build-up to this kind of climax. Um, and I've always been a fan of piano music, um, and, and more so in the past few years, uh, but I've always been very into uh, classical piano, especially Chopin, and um, and more recently getting into jazz piano of, of Bill Evans and Ellington, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so seeing all the different aspects that the, the instrument of piano can cover from total just free jazz to, you know, precision, classical, and, and, and Niels being somewhere in the middle. I know Niels is a big Thelonious Monk fan, which I've become as well. Um, so... He's obviously influenced by those different uh, elements as well, um, but uh, but there's been no in- uh, musician over the past say half decade that I've been so excited about. Um, fortunately, I've been lucky enough to see him three times in the past, I think two years. I saw him this this uh, May in Paris. Um, I have to brag about this uh, under the uh, pyramid at the Louvre, an all night show with uh, Mr. Oliver Arnold. Awesome. Yeah. Um, mostly improvisational, and then also both of them playing their own songs. Uh, I believe he closed with Says at about 5 15 a.m. Uh, with the sun rising over the pyramid of Louvre. Uh, and I saw him. Oh, basically s- a perfect night. <laughs> <laughs> saw him about uh, a year ago at the Roundhouse in London. Fantastic venue. And, uh, and then the show I referenced earlier in LA, maybe two years ago. And, um, he's just great to see on stage. He, he has such a onstage happiness and energy and he talks with the crowd a lot. He's really funny. He's just cracking jokes about, you know, someone not turning their cell phone on silent or someone knocking over a bottle during a quiet piece or, you know, he's very like, he doesn't take himself too seriously, even though he has all the, uh, 
you know, ability to do so considering his, his technical when, ability. When did you first start listening to him? Do you remember? Is it like a couple years ago? Yeah, or two or long? three years ago. I, I uh, Do you think so? I mean, it's fun. Like, I'm looking at the list of your songs and, and Stu and, you know, what I mentioned in my own and things like that. Uh, it's definitely a relatively recent uh, pick as far as I think that, you know, when I talk about this concept with other people, like sometimes right away they'll be like, oh, well, this song from when I was a kid or this and that. So I think it's kind of cool for you to bring something that's a little bit more recent Um and, you know, again, I, I stress the point when I talk to people about this, it's not about the perfect three songs that you want to talk about or, right. or things like that. And so, um, you know, I don't think this is necessarily your third favorite song by any means, but for you to pick it as something that it has this significance, you, know, you talked about, I think for you, it sounds like it's a very just performance wise and, you know, recent memories and things. Do you feel like it's a song that will continue to mean a lot to you over the years like will you come back does it have that potential for you i don't think i'll come back to it with any new angle of looking at it. i think it, any song that has this amount of initial impact uh, on me it it will just always have that 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 special place uh, in, in memory but uh you know i don't go back to to the grudge by tool and really have any new way of understanding it i don't like it more or less it still just has the every time i listen to it, it has the same kind of uh, power over me and, and same with these other songs yeah i think you know as we talked about what this podcast was not just what you th it's not what are the best three songs uh, ever written or you know the three that you know you like to see the most live it's, it's you know I, I thought about it these were three songs that um were um, stages of evolution in my appreciation of music and different genres. Um, the first song we talked about, I would have been, I think, 15 years old when I first heard it. The uh, Cigarettes, I was probably 20 when I first heard it. And um, Neil's From, I would have been 27, 28 years old. So uh, I think that's, that's why I kind of settled on these three, is they had very meaningful... Um, places and, and, and stages of transformation of, okay, this artist, I can tell when I shifted to this type of how I looked at music and, and how much it meant to me. And, um, this artist was huge and that shift, um, not necessarily to something else, but a, a new awakening that there was something new, you know, you, you can hear, you know, a million bands and there are only a handful that really like, you know, you hear it when I heard Niels Fromm play says the first time, it was just unlike anything I'd ever heard. And, and again, the same for the other two songs. It was this moment where I was like, wow, there's there's this whole another world of music out there that I had no idea. And something you just get, again, super fired up about it. Um, and I think we both fall in that boat and, and, and the significance of seeing live music, um, especially in this day and age when, when musicians, except for those at the very top, are struggling to make ends meet um, because of digital technology and easy access to music um which i think ha is positive and negative on so many ways and we could <laughs> we could talk about that for hours but yeah um <clears throat> yeah it's uh, the the importance of seeing live music supporting live music which obviously living in austin for eight years and now being in la for five years um are, are two places where that you have easy access to to live music on, on almost too much access um that seeing it a show live in a sold out venue with a whole crowd of people who are just as excited as you are, um, can be really transformational experiences. And, um, 
Um, I think all of these really cemented themselves in me once I saw them live and, yeah. and really felt the band really just, you know, kicking me in the face with, with how much passion and intensity they were putting into it. Um, again, these are all, um, I feel like songs that require attention and, and again, like any good book or any great movie, it's something that captivates you, holds you, locks you in. It's not something you just put on the background and just tap your foot to, um, it's something that really requires a, a, an attention span and, and time and appreciation. Um, and anything that, that, that you put that much um, value as far as time into, whether it's good wine, good food, um, good books or whatever you're into, you know, that you can uh, understand that, that time put into something typically I feel like results in a, a higher appreciation of it. Yeah. I think it's good. I, I agree with that. I mean, I mo- there's so many good connections that we can look back on and be like, oh man, that show or that right. moment and that thing. It really does help to cement it. And you know, it's funny. Like, there's the other, the flip side of that too, where a song can mean a lot to you, and then you have a bad experience with it at a show <laughs> or something like that, and it can really ruin it for you. Um, and well, unfortunately, I don't think we've seen either of these three artists together. I don't think we have. No, um, we've seen some pretty amazing shows, but. Uh, well, next time Tool's in town, I'm going to drag there you, you over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've seen I know, I know it wouldn't be, I know it wouldn't be dragging. It. But yeah. yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, I hope for Austin's sake, Niels Fromm blesses his presence oh sometime gosh, sooner or later. It's going to happen. Um, and and yeah, cool. it is exciting to talk about someone who is, you know, all three of these um, artists are, are still making music, still contemporary. And Niels is obviously the, the most um, kind of new on the scene, I think, in the global music scene of, right. of getting a lot of attention and getting on uh i'm not sure he's really been in festivals but getting you know bigger venues mm-hmm. and getting sold out shows and and he's got some new some what i think will be very interesting things on the horizon of i think he's getting more into um you know dance not not dance but um the music is like you said becoming more percussive and um more elements from just pianos piano still at its core but it's having a lot more synth um and and kind of um bass driven uh, music and yeah a lot more electronic elements involved um but again pushing the um the uh waldo saying hi the yawn <laughs> and a tail wag um bringing a lot more elements into what what piano music is and and obviously bringing a lot of fans that probably traditionally have never listened to piano music um opening a world to them through through his kind of access of of being um uh, almost dancey at times in his current uh, past few shows having elements where people start to move because there's this um, kind of booming synth line that has a you know fast bpm and, and people can kind of start grooving to it and but still at its core is this gorgeous piano yeah. and then and then he will play just five minutes of just piano that will bring you to tears because it's just so delicate and, and beautiful and Again, it's it's that kind of balance, and and I think about this a lot in, in photography, which I study um, more than anything from a kind of academic perspective in my own work. Um, that this idea that that combining um, opposites and understanding opposites, uh, that you know, having um, a soft texture and a hard texture and an image or um, any any kind of conflicting elements. Um, as opposed to them conflicting, they simply just bring out the best of the other one by, by their contrast. And, um, I think that, that, that comes out in, in music a lot too. And, and the music that, that hits me the hardest usually is, is that 
That's cool. I'm glad you closed that out on the photography note because, you know, I, Doug works at an amazing uh, photography gallery in LA and uh, I'm certainly no, I don't have an Instagram or any of that, so I'm not a big photographer type person, but I've always been really inspired by, you know, your attention to detail and, and art and understanding and appreciation for that space. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of the, I mean, I, Niels Fromm's music is photographic to me. Like mm. something about when I hear it and think about it, I conjure up like these really vast landscape, black and white stills and things like that of like, oh, this song sounds like that and that connection to it. And you kind of mentioned um, some of that about how, you know, when you were in college and you were taking photos of um, the earth falling apart and um, mm-hmm. that, that meaning for what you're talking about, Untitled 8, and how that came through. I'm sure that, you know, if you came back and did a second round of this later on, that there'd be more and more songs like that as well that you could kind of make that connection to. Um, but I think this was a, a pretty good uh, pretty good look at what, uh, you know, it's a totally, totally different side. I'm glad you came and did it and glad that we found the time to, to make it um, before you head out of Austin for another few months. Yeah, I had no doubts about it. It's a, it's, it's a great... I think new, um, it, it needs to have more people actually talking about music and especially not people just comment warring on Facebook or YouTube is really actually sitting in a room and actually just listening to music and not, you know, um, I don't know, watching TV while you're doing it or, or, you know, um, on your phone, actually just sitting and listening and, and talking about the different elements. And, and this is kind of a nice, uh, it's fun, focused it's fun way to do it. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear some more people. Cool. All right, well, that's going to be a wrap for our um, second episode of Memory Tracks. And now I'm going to take a picture. Oh, yeah, Mr. Photographer. There it goes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right, thanks uh, Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Till next time. See ya.